TTB Music Podcast. And we're back. And we're back uh, for a brief um, David Bowie special, as it were. Um, we kind of decided that that uh, Mr. David Bowie, as Hello. he was referred to Many frequently on, on this podcast, on podcast uh, yes. deserved a, a bit more um, discussion and talking rather than just talking about the new album, which we've just done so on the current podcast um so this is more about um our own personal feelings about bowie and his career and that kind of thing and it's kind of interesting in a way that our last two podcasts have featured david bowie yeah. reviews Indeed. since <laughs> since our last yeah. proper album review yeah. uh, podcast was revisiting uh, it's much well, not maligned as such. It's not, not it's not quite like Tim Machine. It hasn't been maligned that much, but they <laughs> certainly certainly overlooked yeah. uh, outside or one outside album, um, which clearly uh, is a record that we've both been uh, long term fans of, um, and interesting that amongst the people that have spoken since uh, he died has been uh, Brian Eno. And saying that you know he'd spoken to Bowie about a year or so ago, and mm. one of the things they'd spoken about was perhaps revisiting outside yeah. at some point in the next kind of uh, couple of, couple of years, and either uh, revamping it in some way or perhaps doing a kind of follow, follow record, uh, which is something that we fully have discussed on that uh, last podcast. Um, Similarly, it's quite funny if you go back to um, the end of the rea- reality tour when he essentially retired after having the uh, heart trouble. Um, obviously, we were in a, in a phase then when he'd just done Heathen and Reality, both of which had been well, well received, kind of back to back, 2002, 2003. Mm. And Visconti, sim- similarly, Tony Visconti had said that they'd spoken of doing kind of like three more albums back-to-back in quite quick succession at that, that, that point, yeah. including a, a kind of band electronica project, <laughs> supposedly. Um, kind of a plastic tin machine. Plastic tin machine, like uh, it. <laughs> but again, didn't happen because yeah. uh, the heart problems and uh, he then decided to uh, re- kind of remove himself from uh, music and the industry at that point, really, to, um, you know, essentially do what no musician does, which is retire mm. for all intents and purposes and, you know, just live the normal life at home being Mr. Iman and yeah, far, father to his yeah. daughter Lexi. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we had the him then doing the un, almost unthinkable, mm. really, which is coming back a couple of years ago with... Uh, the next day and managing to basically record and release an album without anyone getting wind of it. Yeah. Which in our modern society is 
virtually impossible. Yeah. Uh, I remember we discussed it at the time, even, even then, then saying it seemed, it seemed astonishing that the people that knew about it managed to keep quiet about it. Mm. And one of the few people that didn't keep quiet, quiet about, about, about it, well, I think it was Robert Fripp who was meant to be playing on it then couldn't play on it, yeah. actually kind of tweeted about it and everyone ignored the tweet because they thought he was... Not yeah. serious. Yeah. So we've got nah, Dave Barry's not going to record yeah, a new album. He's now he's yeah, hasn't lived ten years. He's not going to do anything else. No, of course he's not. Pointing is ignored. Uh, and he turned turned down the Olympic closing ceremony as well. Indeed, to, to yes. Keep, to keep the secret. Yes, to, yeah. to, to not perform. Although, although again, um, I, he managed. Once he came back to making music, he didn't really perform. He right. performed a couple of times after doing the. Uh, Reality tour, the, the, the thing with Dave Gilmore, where he did a version comfortably numb uh, on stage with Gilmore, and I think his last performance was singing a duet with Alicia Keys, I think, wasn't yeah. it? On something. But again, that was quite a uh, way away. But I suppose we should kind of turn the clock back, I suppose. Um, so when, when, when did Bowie first appear on your horizon or noticeably when did you kind of hmm. think ah Bowie Bowie for me I don't know we've kind of, we've already talked about this um, for me it was he was always there and yes. uh, from an early age and and for me coming coming of age in a, in a different decade <laughs> to yourself um which is a point I always rankle him with. Um, you don't look older than me, Pete. No, no, I know. You're I'm, wearing I'm, it well. And you're wearing, you're wearing it sexually well. I'm wearing very well. Um, for me, it, it, it was the eighties, and it was that string of hits he had in the early eighties that was all sort of playing in the background. You know, Let's Dance. Yeah. Um, uh, China Girl, and uh, and before that, I suppose Ashes to Ashes. Yes. Um, from, from from that album. Uh, scary monsters so so he was always there in the background but but actually when i was coming coming of age mus musically um he wasn't really around because it was the late 80s through to the early 90s and uh, he was kind of a, a has-been uh someone that was still kind of there but wasn't quite there if you know what i mean yeah um and and you know it was a difficult period for him looking back now retrospectively of course you can appreciate that so when he really arrived in my life was in 1995 it was it was outside yeah and it was sat listening late one night to i think it was mark radcliffe on uh, radio one probably and um it was him talking about his life his music this forthcoming album um and it was the track hello space boy the the album version which really, before your mates got their hands on it before my mates got their hands on it uh, it really appealed to me because at the time I was listening to a lot <laughs> a lot of Nine Inch Nails and other sort of proto-industrial alternative rock music um, so that track just stood out to me and, and then of course The Heart's Filthy Lesson came out as a single yeah. um, and my other mate Clint Lesnar did a fantastic remix of that um, and, and, and from that point on, I was hooked and, and from that point on, obviously I wanted to, cause yeah, okay. I'm, by this stage, I've also heard most of his seventies stuff. Yes, well. of course. But by this point I'm now thinking, right, 
David Bowie has arrived. Uh, this guy's got albums, lots of albums, lots of really good albums. Uh, and it's at that point, I suppose, I sort of become a fan. Yeah. And start start buying the music. And uh, and uh, so, so the second, my second Bowie moment is probably Hunky Dory. Yeah. So going right back, well, nearly back to the... Yeah, fourth album, yeah. Yeah, right back to near the beginning. Um, and sort of sort of having the two very different sides of Bowie there. Um, the, the sort of, the, you know, the early, very early 70s Bowie and, and alternative mid-90s Bowie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I mean, I was get similarly. I was obviously started the, I mean, the first album, David Bowie came out in '67, I think it was. Um, so I was born a year later. So pretty much Bowie's career has kind of spanned my life up until now. Um, and I was, I was certainly aware of some of the, some of the stuff in my very early, early early years, and I do remember actually kind of sitting up and taking notice of Space Odyssey when it was released re-released in 75 when I'd have been six kind of six seven yeah. um my brother was a big fan of that and we were a household that loved music my parents loved music and my uh, older brothers so I still have an older brother so had an older brother sorry Phil uh, I still have an older brother who's uh I never had an older brother yeah he's six <laughs> like six and a half years older than me and so I was living uh my musical taste mm. for a part of my my life kind of vicariously or by osmosisly yeah. Um, yeah through my brother and his taste in music music um so my brother was very much into um bowie at that that point and kind of queen early queen and and, and the early startings of heavy metal i suppose as well um but it probably wasn't until ashes to ashes came out that i really kind of went you know what yeah david bowie i need to buy some david bowie and i remember buying the ashes to ashes single mm. um obviously has one of um, iconic video um mm. now classic in the way that, that obviously we're talking 1979 most expensive video at the t of all time at the time now the kind of thing that basically you could recreate using your mobile phone including editing edi editing it and adding the uh, yeah. the effects that they used um perhaps without uh steve strange who also lost of course um walking across a a beach with a digger trail in them <laughs> um <laughs> and it was a great a great song in many in many ways well one it's a great pop tune great pop tune great video and in typical kind of bowie kind of playfulness it kind of you know it goes back to space odyssey and and you know basically saying that Major Tom is now um, mm. a junkie. Yeah. And it's just, you know, he's gone from being a hero to being a bum, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And the whole kind of uh, idea of that appealed to me at the time. Um, and then not long after that is when I moved to to Glasgow and there was a great second-hand record shop called Lost Chord that wasn't far, far from where I lived. And I then, similar to you, decided to really just check out everything pre um, then, so yeah. so there was basically everything pre kind of scary monsters. So picked up virtually all the um, late sixties, early seventies albums for peanuts, essentially. And for me, for me, it was um, Diamond Dogs was the one that I re really, really kind of fell in love with. It's a great gatefold sleeve of obviously Bowie kind of 
naked yes. and then yes. half of him is a dog kind of thing. It's a great thing. And kind of loosely based on George Orwell's 1984. Mm. And there's a great story, apparently. He actually approached them, this this state of George Orwell, officially to say, could I do a musical of your... of and they went, no. Yeah. So he kind of did it anyway. So he did it anyway. But, <laughs> but not. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but in a less kind of obvious way. Yeah. Um, and it's still an album. I was listening to it again the other day. It's still an album that I think is just, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant record. And of course, it does have Rebel Rebel on, on it, which is uh, probably, along with Heroes, is probably one of Bowie's most covered tunes. Yeah. And so it's that and um, Lodger, which is the album that came before Scary Mon- Monsters, uh, which is another record that I think is one of his um, lesser appreciated records, certainly, that's really got me. And I, from, from then on, I was I was kind of kind of hooked. Let's Dance came out, as you say, um, and then Tonight, Never Let Me Down. And this was a three-album period where, you know, Bowie had, had gone from being kind of successful, successful. he had been big in the big in the 70s, get to start of the 80s, he was, yeah, still mm. doing all right. He was still a, he was still a big artist, but he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't a superstar. No. No. Let's Dance and Tonight turned him... Yeah into a global superstar Absolutely. again and yeah. suddenly he was yeah. just the biggest artist on the planet yeah. um, and that kind of, I think that started to get get to him because he got to the stage where he got to the Never Let Me Down um, Glass Spiders yes. tour if anyone's ever seen the video for that uh, there was a video made of the, the tour of that it's, it's worth seeing because it is bonkers uh, really really over the top um, and he went through that and he, and he was, and he was the albums are still. I mean, Never Let Me Down is actually quite a good record, I think. Um, sort of time will crawl on and uh, stuff yeah. like that, which is great. Certainly a better album than than uh, Tonight, which was uh, I thought was the probably weakest one of the weakest albums he's ever made. And he then kind of almost fell into that thing where where he started to go a bit mad because he started to feel that he was starting to become a kind of greatest hits yes performer, yes. and that. People were just expecting him to go out and do a greatest hits tour, yeah. and he did, he did a greatest hits tour. And they went, "Oh, let's do that again, book it to do that again." And he, he just had, had enough and thought he was being driven into a being retired almost. Yeah. So people were saying, "Ah, yes, uh, you clearly don't have the ability to make any more new music or interesting music. Mm. Therefore, let's just turn you into a mm. '80s revival artist, yeah. of which we know." Thoughts these days. Yeah, in fact, people are making a good, making a good living out of it, and that's yeah. you know all, right. all strength to them, frankly. But that then resulted, obviously, in him uh, deciding to create Tin Machine, uh, the much derided Tin Machine, um, which is set up with the Sales Brothers uh, and uh, Reeves Gabriel as a guitarist. And this this was interesting for me because he because he he purposely wanted to get away from everything that he was doing and do it without him carrying everything. And so whilst he was clearly the leader of Tim Machine, I don't think there's any ever doubt about that, he made a conscious effort to make sure that all four of them were on the cover of the album. Yeah. That nowhere on the album was it say David Bowie's Tim Machine or Tim Machine featuring David Bowie or any any of that. It was no the band are called Tim Machine, I'm a member of the band. Yeah. This isn't a solo effort. 
And as we've discussed before, and I particularly discussed before ad nauseum, the, the first <laughs> Tin Machine album is a very, very good and very, very underrated record and got uh, actually got reasonable reviews at the time. It subsequently, subsequently seemed subsequently, to have been... I don't know. Subsequently seems to have been kind of like... Uh, Even in the last few weeks, everyone... That's kind an of opportunity to have a pop at it. Yeah, um, I don't get me wrong. I can understand why people have a, would have a go at Tim Machine Two, which was a pretty awful record. Yeah. Um, a couple of good tracks on it, but generally speaking, was a bit ropey. And the live album was also um, less than brilliant. In fact, I remember someone at the time when the uh, when they were touring for the second album just about to come out. Uh, a friend of mine, at university, went to two dates on the tour. Mm. And uh, I still remember. I still remember this because I think it was like he went on the Wednesday and then on the Friday somewhere else. And he described the gigs as the best and worst gigs he'd ever been to in his entire <laughs> life. Yeah. One, one of one of which he thought they were absolutely shit hot now yeah. and everything, and it was just yeah. absolutely amazing. And the other one, the other one, he said was absolutely horrendous. They were just all over the shop, mm. just couldn't get it together. Sound was dreadful. And that was kind of Tin Machine Live. Um, and I'm part of me kind of likes that kind of thing. It was that kind of, you know, let's just get up the stage and let's just do it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think doing that gave him the creative uh, push, kind of revive the batteries almost, kind yeah. of recharge the batteries for what then came after, after, afterwards. So bizarrely, he then followed that by reuniting with Nile Rogers. Uh, for Black Tie, White Noise, which is a very different record from Let's Dance. Uh, and then move on from there. As I said, we've got Outside, outside mm. Earthling, where he decides, hey, let's do some drum and bass. Mm. But again, let's do some drum and bass, but not because... Not because it's popular. Yeah, not because drum and bass is in, I want to yeah. do, and I want to do a drum yeah. and bass album, but because he'd heard some drum and bass and kind of thought, actually, I, li I, li I like the rhythms, I like what's going on there, which is the thing that... Again, I always really liked about Bowie. He did. There are elements in his records where he's clearly decided, okay, I want to do some industrial stuff. Hmm. I want to do some drum and bass. I want to have some jazz going on here. I want to have this, that, and the other, other, hmm. other going on. But it never really kind of seems like he's doing it for the sake of bandwagon jumping. No. It's more because he's a he's a music fan. Yeah, you know, he's, he's someone that. In fact, he can t even in his time where he wasn't making music you yeah. know he was out championing bands like, like the pixies like yeah. arcade fire Arcade-fire, yeah. um tv on the ra ra radio yeah. he was someone that loved music yeah. loved discovering new music yeah. and loved connecting with people yeah. and so his influences in that kind of sense always came from a this is something that i i like the sound of how yeah. can i incorporate it into my own sound I can't, I, I, he did that you could argue he did that throughout his career, and um, I mean the classic is of course the Young Americans as well. Yeah, which is um, you know there wasn't he didn't have to <laughs> didn't have to move to Philadelphia and record that album. He wanted to, and um, and it's such a such a great record as a result. You can feel the love that he puts into into that and that deep appreciation of his music. plastic soul album, as he called it. Plastic soul album, as he calls it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's that's a that's a great record. It is a great record. Um, and and then and then he he decides I've got I've got to get out, got to get away. And then several times actually during his career, he kind of takes a step back from himself. And then we get the awesome 
Berlin, what became known as the Berlin Trilogy. Yes, the Berlin Trilogy, only one of which was actually, it was actually recorded in Berlin, yeah. yeah. Um, which is, in itself, is, in Heroes, both the album and the, the, the track, has given us one of the greatest songs of the 20th century, you know. Indeed, actually, I don't know if you saw, there's a um, documentary series on Friday nights, funny enough, it is a Friday mm. when we're recording this, um, Music Moguls. Right. On BBC Four, oh. and last week's episode was um, it, was uh, Music Mogul's massive masses of Pop. Yeah, um, it was about it was about producers and, and things like that. And it actually had uh, Tony Visconti on um, talking about Heroes, and he actually had the original stems of the, of, mm. of the the track and was basically going through what the kind of original Bowie kind of like acoustic guitar bit and stuff was, mm. and then how. The various sounds were kind of added on to make to make up the track, including yeah. the, th- the there's three very disparate yes. Robert Fripp yeah. guitar bits yeah. that combined make the distinctive yeah. kind of kind of yeah. thing that's going going on. But they're three separate things that when you hear them separately, you can't imagine how they'd ever come together to actually work, Genius. but do. And it's 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 a very instructive way of seeing how one how. Uh, a good producer like Visconti kind of builds up a track. Yeah. But also in the, as you said, in the genius of the actual uh, mm-hmm. song itself, yeah. which is, you know, uh, a lot of people's favourite song of all time, or at least uh, mm-hmm. right. amongst yeah. their favourite songs of all time, particularly of Bowie's. I think the genius aspect is, is again, there's another documentary keeps repeating on there. <laughs> There's a DR plug for BBC Four. Um, I don't know if you've seen the David Bowie Five Years. The Five Years one, yeah, yeah brilliant. It's a brilliant segment in that way. Um, is it Rick Wakeman um, talks about life on Mars. Yes. And the construction of the, you know, the melody of the piano and how how Bowie sort of inverted it. You know. You yes, know, how it's not an obvious it's chord not, progression. It's, it's not an obvious. It goes. You expect it to go up a scale, and then it changes key or changes tone or. The drama, the drama of the music alters radically and pushes the song in a whole different direction, which is, you know, at the time, was revolutionary in terms of pop music. Yeah, I think Wakeman's yeah. just released a version of, uh, piano version of uh, that. Yeah, to um, raise money for charity. Right. And there's another another one of my favourites as well. Um, I just, I, I, I don't know about you. I've, I've found it very difficult to listen to music this month. Uh, I found it quite easy to listen to David Bowie. I've, I've, very I've, easy to listen to David I've, Bowie. I've, 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 listened, I've listened to a lot of David Bowie this I month. Listened, I, I, at first, I was numb. I couldn't listen to anything, and then I listened to uh, some some of the hits, and then I started listening to some of the albums again. Uh, I found it very difficult to listen to anything else. <laughs> so, yes. apologies if you've just listened to our other podcast this month. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm the, the same. I, I kept wanting to go back and listen to more Bowie, and yeah. and even listening to and it was interesting as well. Just listening to some of the things I hadn't listen to as much i'm quite i listen to bowie quite often but there were yeah. some albums that I, I genuinely hadn't listened to for quite a while so things like like black tie white noise it's been a long time since i've listened to um uh that and even reality it's been a while since i listened mm. listened to that and, and um just to give a friend of yours a plug uh i will say that real, reality is the sometime sometime by me as well overlooked follow-up to uh, yeah. uh heathen which i still think is a better record yeah. however um, as one Daryl easily oh. said on the BBC site at the time, yes, yeah, 
It's rock music for sure. It travels along similar lines to Heathen and Hours, but it has a real freshness and accessibility. It's direct, warm, emotionally honest, even, and the surfeit of pleasing, deceptive musical simplicity allows the irony of the central concept that there is no such thing as reality anymore, an opportunity to filter through. It's also rather lively and convincing. With Earthling, it's Bowie's best album since Scary Monsters, he said. Mm. Mm. He did, I remember that. Um, I love his writing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it is an album that, that I certainly... Um, actually, over the last couple of years, come to like more than, than I did at the time. I, I certainly thought it was the poorest and Heathen at the time. Yeah. I, still think, I still think Heathen is a better record. Um, but reality is... Uh, a, good, a, a really, really good record. And in fact, if you look, you know, from out, if you look at the last, what, seven albums he did, Outside, Earthling, Hours, Heathen, Reality, Next Day, Black Star. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good run of albums of any point in anyone's career, career. For some artists, you know. Yeah. That's a stellar career. Just that, just those six or seven albums. Yeah, that's yeah. a spectacularly good run of yeah. records. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I know we talked a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about outside about the reboot that perhaps Tim Machine and then outside gave his gave him, yeah, um, to enable this 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 stellar run. And I know it was one of Dowell's other reviews around um, around um, Earthling um, that sort of brings that all home as well in terms of it being you know his finest record of the nineties and uh, sort of the, the way he was able to bring together the, the different strands. Yes, and the different musical things that he wanted to do, which he did throughout his career. If you think about it, you look at look at each record, um, go back and look at every record, and uh, he was always doing what he wanted to do, but he was doing it so well and so inventively. Yeah, I know, and there were themes that came back. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of people kind of come to the current album, yeah. uh, the kind of jazzy aspects, and people, and uh, again, as if that was kind of something new, but obviously it was there on out, outside, which we, we I said, have spoken about, yeah, including on this makes. podcast. <laughs> but also, if you go back to Aladdin Sane, yeah. there's a beautiful, on the actual track, Aladdin Sane, yes, there is, Peter's showing off his very tasteful yeah, Aladdin Sane t shirt. The title track of that has a brilliant, brilliant piece of uh, piano playing by Mike, Mike Garson, who was uh, a long term member of. Uh, Bowie's recording group and touring group, uh, and that's another thing I like about Bowie as well. Actually, mm. he, he was kind of very loyal to people mm. who were like who were liked working with. Yeah. So whether it was touring or recording, or recording, yeah. so so there's there's a reason why you know um, Carlos Alomar oh, and uh, Fripp, Gail and Dorsey, mm. um, Mike Garson, and all these people were on his records or touring with him regularly. It's because he got on with them. He, yeah. he kind of knew that they knew how to deliver the goods. And he liked people that were musicians who could actually play and were willing to kind of go off in tangents. Yeah. And that didn't just kind of go, oh, I'll come in, I play this bit, this is all I can play. You know, I'm going to direct you to do what you need to do, mm. but you're not going to have any thought. And it's clear from his music that he did like people to work with him that would challenge him whether uh, from a producing point of view or from a band playing point of view and people that were capable of going off on a tangent and, and following yeah. if something goes off to the side what we haven't mentioned of course is yeah. his stellar work in uh, duets <coughs> <laughs> 
from the Christmas Standard yeah. of Little Drummer Boy with Bing, uh-huh. <laughs> um, through to uh, Under pre- Under Pressure with Queen, which yeah. was allegedly re- yeah. rec- recorded after a, a giant binge of yeah. alcohol and drugs, yeah. uh, <laughs> to the. Um, <laughs> I know what's coming. No, I'll go there. Yeah. You, you got the, the, the less than wonderful tonight with Tina Turner. <laughs> and then, of course, the one that you were waiting for, yes. which, which obviously is uh, Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger, which does feature the campest pop video of all time. Yeah. And no matter how many times you rewatch <laughs> that video, it is still the yeah. campest video of all time. Yeah. It was when it came out. Yeah. In the eighties, it still is now. It hasn't been outcamped. As Seth MacFarlane's Family Guy says, uh, it says, "You let that happen, we all let that happen." Mm. <laughs> it is just astonishing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's astonishing and still incredibly enjoyable to watch because you think yeah. these are two men, two men, two men who are really just having the time of their lives, absolutely. taking the absolute absolutely. piss. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I thought you were going <laughs> to bang on about the duet. The one, the one thing we haven't mentioned at all, um, I'm conscious of time, Ziggy. This is true, How yes. Get out of the without Ziggy. But, but that just goes to show you, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, that is, the, that, the that's, you know. that's the whole that's the whole point. Yeah. And then Z, the thing he is... wasn't just one character. I mean, the thing is, Ziggy yeah. was such a short period. True. And that's the thing that people forget, because Ziggy, yeah. Ziggy was, you know, 18 months. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. To start, from start to finish, and that yeah. was... That, that was it done and yeah it was just a huge thing in the kind of Bowie myth yeah if you like yeah. but yeah I mean the rise, rise and fall of Z Stardust Spice Marsh is a, is a still a belting record uh, I had it on the car a, a few weeks back yeah. and it's still just chock full of just really really great music mm, it's a stunning stunning album and that's the thing. You've got so many, got so many records, so many albums here that where uh, I mean, people that um, follow me on Facebook will know that every Friday I do a Friday classic, mm. uh, post a song that I consider to be classic in my own little world. So not necessarily ones that are immediately obvious, although some of them are. are. And I was thinking because I did post one, um, obviously on Bowie's birthday. Uh, to coincide with the release of the album, release of the album, and clearly, them didn't want the following week as well to commemorate his death. But I was thinking, uh, even as I was doing that, I was thinking, okay, fifty-two weeks in a year, I could really do a Friday, a Friday classic you just could. of Bowie songs for the yeah. whole year yeah. without picking a dud. Yeah, are you going to? No, because I've I changed into black today. Oh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of somebody else that died recently. <laughs> sure. Sorry, Colin. <laughs> You don't get a tribute. No. No, but you are missed. In fact, people have been dropping like flies. Yes. This yeah. uh, last month. Yeah. Well, last month and a bit. Obviously, Lemmy started just before Christmas. Yeah, just before yeah, Christmas. Course, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's been yeah. quite a few but, people I mean, this, from the rock world that the, have gone. This the impact of, of of recent events around David Bowie is just um, oh, it's phenomenal. I can't remember if anything like it. Um, I'm too young, too young to remember John Lennon, of course, but. But I can only think that's the closest thing we've had. Yeah, I remember Lennon, and I remember, and I remember Elvis to a certain certain yeah. degree. I mean, when when he he died, and obviously we had Michael Jackson more recently. Yeah. Um, who I suppose uh, are the comparable mm. artists stature-wise, I guess. 
Um, and yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's interesting. I, I mean, Bowie, I suppose, had. I mean, Elvis supposed to recorded for about a similar length of time, at least. So Elvis, but his output went down quality-wise. I mean, and yeah. Bowie's the one whose quality stayed the same. Again, Lennon's quality was, you know, mm. interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson, similar, similarly, you know, in a lot of ways, very similar. Start, started off at a very early, early, early age with some really great music, carried on making great music, mm. and then started tailing away the last yeah, kind of 10, the 10, 10 years yeah. of his, his, his life and yeah. musical output wasn't very good really yeah. um, still obviously a man of huge talent but what you know the quality was certainly lacking but a man who, who obviously was haunted by a lot of other things going on in his life um, but yeah so I think that's what has made Bowie stand out a bit really the fact that he he is an artist of that kind of certain stature who's died, most people would agree, at a young age um, by our standards mm. these, these, these days. Yeah. Um, and someone that up to the end was still a relevant recording artist and still a challenging recording artist. Absolutely. Wasn't just resting on his laurels. Mm. And, as I said, just thinking, hey, let's, yeah. let's re-record all my classics. Yeah, it's a kind of fun style. Yeah, yeah, no. Not let's get Bono to come in and do a duet with me. Yeah, yeah. No, let's do Black Star. Although I? saying that, he did do that obviously for his fiftieth birthday, but that was a, that was that was a gig <laughs> rather than a thing. And that's that's fine. That was yeah, that's allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, um, I suppose one 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 good personal thing that's come out of all this. My four and a half year old is now a Barry fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually this event. Has marked her entry, yeah, into to into rock and pop music. My six-year-old hasn't really <laughs> been convinced. No, uh, she still prefers One Direction. Well, give it time. Yeah, give it time. I've listened to a lot of One Direction this month too. <laughs> a lot yeah. of One Direction. Well, anyway, I guess that's. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to do now. It's kind of hard to kind of wrap up, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Rather than just saying, okay, that, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's it, folks. That's it. That's it. Um, what an absolute. Bowie has left the building. I mean, I, yeah, he certainly has. But I think one one of the sort of final sort of Twitter tributes I picked up. Um, I think it was Simon Pegg hmm. uh, who said something along the lines of, um, "To think all the hundreds of years of human existence, thousands of years of human existence." Um, you didn't live at the same time as Mozart, but you lived at the same time as David Bowie. Yeah. Which I thought, yeah. I think we shall end with a quote <laughs> quote from David Bowie. That seems to be the best way of that does. getting around let's, let's do that. So I'm going to end, end with a kind of serious one more than the funny one. Um, and he said, There in the chords and melodies is everything I want to say. The words just jolly it along. It's always been my way of expressing what for me is inexpressible by any other means. You've been listening to the CTTV Music Podcast.